You are listening to Colorado Outdoors, the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Colorado Outdoors podcast presented by Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I'm your host, John Livingston. We're back to talk about hunting in this episode with our guest, Brian Posthumus, who is our statewide hunter outreach coordinator. Through our hunter outreach program, CPW introduces novice youth and adults to the world of hunting in hopes of fostering the next generation of hunters in our great state. As most hunters already know, hunting is a crucial management tool for wildlife in North America, and the sale of hunting licenses does wonders to help fund wildlife projects, everything from habitat improvements to the reintroduction of species in our state such as moose, river otter, Canadian lynx, and so many more. Hunting is also a key economic driver for many towns in Colorado. Together, hunting and fishing bring in more than $3 billion a year, and it impacts all 64 counties across our state. Hunting and fishing also support more than 25,000 full-time jobs, from small businesses to manufacturers to the tourism industry. Even if you don't personally hunt, we can all thank a hunter for their contributions to wildlife conservation. All right, let's jump right in with today's guest, Brian Posthumus, who is our statewide coordinator of the Hunter Outreach Program. Brian, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, John. It's good to tie in with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you. Can you just start by telling the listeners a little bit more about your role here at Colorado Parks and Wildlife? Yeah, you bet. So um, I'm the statewide Hunter Outreach Coordinator, and um, the the goal of our program, we're trying to get people out there hunting, um, teach them some of the basic skills, kind of you know address some of the hurdles that they might have. But we also want to make sure we've we've got a funding source for wildlife management. And, you know, we, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit um, later. But, you know, the funding is such a big deal. And, and hunters and anglers, um, when they buy those licenses, they they fund so much of, of our wildlife management on, on so many levels. So that that's kind of what I'm trying to do is keep keep hunters in the pipeline, in the funding pipeline, um, bring people to the outdoors, get them an opportunity to um, experience hunting, hopefully fall in love with it. Hopefully they, you know, they have a lifetime of, of hunting and they share it with their family and bring their friends out with them. Yeah, you know, it really can't be said enough what that sale of hunting and fishing licenses do to help us achieve our conservation mission all across Colorado. And we really appreciate that work that your team is putting into it, Brian. So now as we're sitting here right now in the middle of big game rifle seasons, archery and muzzleloader seasons have already happened here in Colorado. And as we're sitting here recording this, we're only a couple days away from the start of the first rifle season for big game. You know, it's really an exciting time to be out in our wilderness and connecting with the land and our family members as we're just out looking to put some high quality food in our freezers. In general, what would you say is the feeling for you, uh, you know, when this time of year rolls around? Yeah, you know, I, I love this season. Um, you know, when, when fall rolls around, the the weather is changing, you get the cool weather, which I, I just I just love. I love the changing of the not just the aspen, but the those shrubs and the grasses and um, you know, the smell in the air is different when you're out in the back country. It's just such a great time to to just be outdoors and 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 you know, just be up in the mountains or or even on the eastern plains. And um so I, I get excited with that. I get excited. Um with opportunities, I you know I I get to participate and take a lot of people hunting. Um, it, it keeps me busy. So on on one hand, I'm I'm awfully busy, um, but I'm doing stuff that I love. I don't always get a chance to get out and hunt on my own, but but that's all right because it, it it's fun to see other people get a chance to get out. There's some real fun seasons coming up right now. Every year, I I make my own little Google Calendar and I just list all of the seasons, the the start date and the end dates of these seasons. So at any point in time, I can pull up that calendar. I can just look at it and say, Hey, what do I want to hunt this weekend? 
And, you know, I pulled one up uh, um, earlier today just to kind of look at what's up there. And I mean, we've got we've got rabbits and hares. We've got, you know, two of the squirrel species that are that are huntable right now. We've got grouse, um, that dusky grouse up in the high country. I think we still are in a marmot season as well, which a lot of hunters don't don't think they can go hunt marmots. But but you can. It's a game species. You can eat them. Um, So there's a lot of those those small game opportunities. We've got some waterfowl, um, some of those early season waterfowl hunting seasons getting started now too. Um, I, I do caution hunters, just make sure you look at that small game waterfowl brochure. We've got two different flyways in Colorado. So it kind of splits the state, um, the Pacific and the central flyway. And then within each of those flyways, we've got a couple of hunting zones as well. And and each of those, those zones have their own unique um, starting dates and end dates. And some of them have... Um, like a an early season and a late season, they have a split in time in between them. Um, so, so there's a lot of opportunities. Um, and if if you're willing to travel across the state, you you can actually be you know duck hunting or or coming up goose hunting here at some point at some place in the state um, for for months to come now. So yeah, there's a lot of opportunities. Is just just maybe looking at that brochure and, and kind of figuring out where these zones are and where some of these opportunities are. And uh, and yeah, and you you mentioned you know first rifles coming up. Um, you know, for elk, what a, what a great time to get out there. It's, um, it's early season. We're, we're getting a little bit of snow up in the mountains, up in the high country and parts of the state. I think the next couple of days, um, it, it might, might end up melting, but it's a great time to get out and, and hunt big game animals. And hopefully some of that snow is going to last in some of the tree cover, um, some of that dark timber, um, you know, and so, so you've got some tracking opportunities for deer and elk in, in you know, second and third and fourth rifle seasons. So I, I think we're, we're coming into just an exciting time to be um, to be a hunter. There's so many opportunities from small game to big game to, to just get out. And, um, you know, even if you don't harvest, it's just fun to get outdoors and, you know, you know, take take your gun for a walk in the woods. You know, that, sometimes that's that's all I need. Yeah, you know, you mentioned it with some of those small game opportunities. I just have so many friends that are so excited at the start of grouse season, trying to ask me if I could cut out of work early and and get out there on the trail with them. But then, you know, also my hunter ed instructor this year was really giddy on the eve of dove season and just talking to me about all the different ways to, you know, prepare that dove, uh, you know, once they have it harvested, all sorts of different recipes. And that's something I really love about the hunting season is getting together with some friends and just seeing all the different ways people do prepare that game meat. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I just got back from a few days. I helped a friend on her first pronghorn hunt, uh, rifle hunt um, for a buck. And uh, we had such a great time. We we didn't harvest, but um, we, we got to do some stalks. Um, we got to crawl on our, our on our elbows and knees and slither through the grass and try and avoid the the, um, you know, the, the cactus that were out there. Um, we got, you know, we've got a couple times we got within 200 yards of a pronghorn. Um, at one point we got within 50 yards of a pronghorn buck and we could tell it was there just, just kind of coming over a hill and, you know, just, just clearing an area with our binoculars and, and, and it was bedded and we could just see those, those horns of that pronghorn just barely sticking up out of the grass. And I mean, that, that experience of just seeing something that, that is that close, um, you know, the, the wind changed on us and, and off it ran. We didn't get a shot opportunity, but, but we got so close and we had such a fun, fun time just, just hanging out for a few days. You know, we had beautiful sunrises, beautiful sunsets. It, yeah. It was just, just a great time. You know, I, I almost hated to come back to the office and, and get back to work here. You know, it, it's just fun to get out. 
you know, I think maybe the hunting season looks a little different for some folks this year. A lot of folks who, you know, maybe for the last 20 years have always hunted certain units in our Northwest region uh, and always put in for that. Uh, really reduced licenses up there this year because of the really harsh winter we had in uh, 22, 23 uh, winter season. Uh, a lot of the winter kill that we did experience with some of our big game animals up in the Northwest region. I know we have some shortened season dates uh, too for, for some of those hunts. And then, you know, here where I'm sitting in the Southwest region, um, already kind of noticing, you know, a few more hunters maybe out in some Southwest region units, uh, anticipating some of that with uh, some of the over-the-counter type uh, tags, folks maybe getting, uh, looking at some of those other regions around the state because the Northwest is uh, more limited this year. Just what have you kind of heard from some hunters or um, maybe seen uh, in relation to some of those um, reductions in the North west this year yeah yeah i talked to some of my my co-workers and and some of the the staff working up that northwest region um you know boy they got hit hard with that that winter weather and and you know talking with them you know let hunters know i think what what happened they, they had some really good snow you know good heavy snow and then they had rain and it froze and created a crust and that crust prevented um, not only, you know, easy movement across the landscape, but um, the animals just couldn't, couldn't bust through that to get to forage below the crust, below the snow. And, um, you know, making travel difficult, there's a lot of animals that ended up having to move along highways and there's a lot of um, vehicle collisions. Um, I, I heard reports of, you know, sometimes seven or eight, you know, pronghorn that were probably just walking on the highway at night and maybe a semi truck came through and took took all of them out. Um, and one, one pass. Um, but, you know, there's animals that were, were dying left and right. It, wintertime is a limiting factor for so many of these, these big game animals up in the mountain ranges. And if they can't get to a suitable winter range, um, they, you know, survival rates are, are so low. So this was, was extraordinary um, winter mortality this year up there. And the, the biologists that are up there, the, the district wildlife managers, uh, the, you know, regional managers, all, everyone was, was like, you know, what do we do? And they, they spent a lot of time trying to, to look at, um, you know, what are some solutions to this? And it, it is challenging for the hunters that, that um, have been hunting up there year after year after year. Um, but, but by reducing a lot of these, um, the quota for the limited licenses, I think they reduced them, you know, over 85% across the board. Um, reducing those quotas, um, we should be getting um, some animals that are able to survive through the summer, through the hunting season. And if this winter is not a, you know, a, a real rough winter, um, they ought to, um, you know, kind of the whole reproduction cycle, they ought to be um, popping new young into the system next spring. So, um, you know, we, we had some some survival this year and some some reproduction, but it's probably going to be next year when um, we start to see some recovery. And it may be two to three years, I imagine, um, if, if, if our our winters are, are normal in that part of the state. Um, I'm hoping that they'll start to uh, come back to, to normal numbers. So, you know, it, you know, by saying that, right, it, it's tough on hunters. We reduced a lot of those quotas. Um, but but realizing that, um, you know, hunting is a tool in the toolbox for managing wildlife and, and the fact that we can adjust quotas in certain regions of the state, um, it, it allows us to manage those populations. So it is consistent with a habitat that's available out there. So it, it's such a big, big part of understanding that that um, setting these licenses, it's a it's a dynamic process. It's not a static process where, oh yeah, just, just it's going to be the same year after year after year. And, you know, the weather changes, you know, there's all sorts of other conditions that are out there that change. Um, and, and so sometimes we just have to be able to dynamic, 
be dynamic and, and um, sometimes adjust quotas. I've, I've had some hunts in past years in other parts of the state that um, had a, a more limited winter impact. And, um, you know, they reduced all the, the doe deer tags for, for two, three years. And in that amount of time, boy, the population came back and, and now they opened up the, the doe tags again and the, and the deer population is doing good again. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad we've got these, these smart folks that are out there um, working the landscape and doing the surveys, tying in with landowners, tying in with hunters, trying to keep track of, of what's going on in the landscape and, and sometimes having to make these tough calls to say we're, we're reducing these, these licenses and quotas. Um, but yeah, I think in other parts of the state, I mean, we had had pretty good um, winter cover, snow cover over the winter time, and as long as you know across the state, most of these animals are able to move to winter range and 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 get some forage and and survive and reproduce in the spring. So I, you know, everything I've heard from folks, um, our populations across the state, other than that northwest region, are doing pretty good. We had some wet weather in the spring, kind of that early summer. Um, we haven't had a lot of um, significant wildfires this year, so we weren't in like severe drought conditions like we had for seemed like the last six, seven years up in the high country in the summertime. So I think the forage has been fantastic all through the summer into the fall. I think I think animals are going into the wintertime coming up in really good body condition. So, you know, as long as the winter doesn't get get um, rough, you know, in parts of the state, I, I do expect we're going to have some good strong populations throughout much of the state this year. I think for hunters, it's going to be a good opportunity to, to get out. Um, they should be should be seeing, you know, maybe some some changes if they, they can remember what the drought conditions look like with some of the, you know, the dry um, dry landscapes or, you know, some short grasses and stuff, they might see um, a change when they get out in the field this year. And the other thing, I guess I, I kind of throw out there for hunters, um, I encourage them to get out and scout, especially if they're hunting in a GMU that has, um, that has had some of those large wildfire burns in the last five, six, seven years. Um, get out and scout a little bit, but we may have had some, um, some of that undergrowth, that, that understory um, vegetative layer may have kind of got a little bit of a kickstart with all this extra moisture. So some of that that forage um, on the ground might may have increased from past years and it's starting to recover in those areas. And, um, you know, I think hunters shouldn't discount some of those those areas that have had wildfires. Um, personally, you know, if I if I was hunting in those areas, I would probably be looking along the edges of where it was, um, you know, where the the burned area next to the unburned area. Or, you know, the fires don't just, I mean, sometimes they, they just burn the whole thing, but sometimes there's patches here and there. And I'd look at some of those patches of, of burned and unburned areas as well, because I think the forage um, will be coming back. It'll be desirable for a lot of animals. And, and some of those standing dead trees that are still out there on the landscape, um, you know, they, they still provide cover, right? Like animals walking through them feel like they're, they're walking through a forest. I mean, I, I don't know what they feel, but I, I mean, you see animals in those burned areas and, and I, I think they still feel safe, right? They're treating it as, um, escape cover, as thermal cover, as hiding cover. And so I think there's some animals moving through those areas and, and without that canopy, I think, uh, I think hunters that can get up onto a, um, you know, like a, a spotting, um, you know, a, a hill and do some glassing. I think they may be able to see some of these animals moving through these these standing dead trees a little bit easier than maybe trying, you know, maybe they can make a play using the landscape to get some cover and approach them on a on a stalk get to get in range. Um, but that that that's what I'd kind of recommend to a couple of hunters, especially if you've got some of those uh, those burned areas. Maybe get out and just scout them, and maybe it's not 
not for this year, but scout them, um, you know, next year in, in the summertime before you get out and, and look for those conditions. Um, you know, just kind of start planning and, and preparing yourself, um, even if it's for next year's hunt. Um, I, I think that scouting opportunity, that that time we take in the field prior to the hunt pays off quite a bit, understanding what the forage is, what the cover is, even learning our access to get into those areas. It, it's such a big part of the hunt. And, and it, it's another excuse to get up in the mountains. And, you know, we, we all need another excuse to get up and, and hike around the hills a little bit. Brian, you're so right about that with the burn areas. Uh, my counterpart in the Northwest, Rachel Gonzalez, uh, was just captured some amazing photos of elk moving through some of the burn areas and um, some of those trees. So I'm definitely already seeing signs of that, um, you know, from some of those areas, even in the Northwest region this year, just from some of the photo evidence uh, Rachel's been bringing back. So I think that point is super well taken. And also want to go back to something you said earlier um, just about the all the work that goes into uh, kind of our license setting process. It's been special for me in my first few years here at Colorado Parks and Wildlife to learn more what all goes into that and see how our staff works together, just not only the biologists and the district wildlife managers, but also our researchers who have been out there for years studying, you know, calf and fawn survival rates and uh, recruitment rates to those adult age classes. Uh, really kind of special to see how much goes into it from so many different branches within Colorado Parks and Wildlife to kind of determine uh, that that license setting process. So, um, you know, just uh, uh, really shows all the teamwork of what happens here at Parks and Wildlife to to make that happen. Yeah, there's there's some there's some really good folks that sure work hard and and they're smart and they you know they they know the wildlife you know the the models the population models and they. You know, they they put a lot of work into setting those those quotas and, and you know, keep, you know, keeping in touch with our wildlife populations. It, it, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing what they do I um, for hunters that are that are interested. And if, if they've got some um, curiosity, too, um, we do have um, some some herd management plans that are posted on our website. If, you, if uh, hunters go to our CPW website, hit that big game page. Um, you, you kind of have to scroll to the bottom, but there's there's a, a link for herd management plans and you have to kind of look around, but um, you can find the units that that fit into a herd management plan. And you can look at what they're looking at, some of the different features, um, what the long-term goals are. Um, are they, you know, is this an area that's overpopulated and they're trying to increase licenses in order to get it to a stable population? Or is it under under um, the population and maybe they have to um, adjust those quotas, especially with the, um, you know, the female licenses so that, that they can in, encourage the, the reproduction. Um, so I think hunters that, that, you know, maybe don't, don't understand, well, how come there's no, no doe tags or cow tags, or there's not enough tags here or there um, reading through those herd management plans might be really eye opening. Um, the other thing is it might, um, might get them excited to maybe go branch out and try, try hunting a different area to get a different experience and opportunity to go hunt. Yeah, I really encourage folks to sign up uh, to receive some of our news releases where we announce a lot of public meetings uh, regarding those herd management plans. I know elk herd management plans in the Northwest um, are being up for public comment. Um, and those herd management plans kind of dictate how we're going to look to manage these herds for uh, a 10-year period. So uh, really critical when those come open to public comment that we do receive comments from folks. And I know here in the Southwest region, we're about to open 
um, our deer herd management plans for the entire region here um, this fall. So I'll be looking to get some video and uh, words out to the folks to let them know kind of what we're proposing, what some you know alternatives may be, and really value that public feedback. I think the more of it we get, the more we understand you know how the public wants us to manage this resource because we always got to remind the public you know it is all of Colorado's uh, wildlife uh, out there. And uh, it's important to have that public feedback, um, hear how they want us to manage these animals as well. Yeah. Make your voice heard. You know, this, this you're right. This, you know, we're, we're managing the wildlife, but we're managing it for everyone in Colorado. And um, yeah, it, it's important. I, yeah. Hunters make your voices heard, please. We, we, we work for you. Um, so yeah, please, please make your voices heard. You're listening to the Colorado Outdoors podcast from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and we're here with Brian Posthumus from our Hunter Outreach section. Brian, let's go ahead and dive into some more of the specific programs you offer through your section here at Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I had a wonderful chance my first few months here in Colorado to follow the story of a young man from the Delta area who participated in one of our dream hunts. He had suffered a traumatic brain injury on his family's ranch, and he ended up having to spend several months in the children's hospital up in Denver. When he returned home, he was awarded a dream hunt to come join some of our CPW district wildlife managers and a gracious landowner on a pronghorn hunt that he had expressed interest in during his recovery. So from a dream hunt like that to something like we do with our novice youth and adult hunts, can you just let listeners know more about some of the opportunities they have here in Colorado to get started in hunting? We, we could be here a while to cover all of them, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give it a good shot. The dream hunt, the, the idea is to support um, sponsoring agencies. So these are nonprofit agencies that offer um, a hunt opportunity for, for youth that are going through a life-threatening illness or injury. And um, I mean, they, they're, they're giving a lot of their time to this. They're giving a lot of their money. They're, um, you know, they, they tie in with landowners, you know, that just have a big heart. A lot of times we've got outfitters that, um, you know, maybe they're able to um, offer a, a guided hunt to these youth um, that that's maybe outside the normal season. So um, th- this program is is just great to tie in with. I, I meet so many people that just have the biggest hearts in the world, and and they're they're providing a hunt opportunity, a, a hunt experience for for a youth. And um, the youth are are it, the age range starts at twelve, um, but actually goes up to twenty one. That, that's a little bit different than what we consider youth legally for for getting a normal license. But it's a great program. I've heard um, great stories from. Um, coming back from from some of these sponsoring agencies, um, some of them have created some some quality videos to share as well. And um, boy, I mean, I, I know sometimes I, I've got tears of joy and in in tears of of sadness combined. But um, they're, yeah, they're, it's just a great just a great program. And um, you know, so so that's that's one part of the program. It's it's, it's probably a small part of our program. We usually offer. Um, over 400 mentored hunts across the state. So just, just to new hunters, and that's going to include youth and novice adults. We, um, under, under our novice adult program, um, we also have a women of field um, opportunity. So um, if we offer a mentored hunt, um, if we throw it into, you know, we call it women of field, it's going to be all women that are going on this hunt. And um, part of the goal of, of, of any of our hunts is to build kind of a social connection. So many hunters, are, are challenged to get out hunting because they don't have family that hunts. They don't know any friends or coworkers that, 
or at least they're not aware that that they hunt or they haven't offered to take them out hunting. So, so a lot of our programs, we're trying to offer hunts to multiple people at a time. And, and so they build a social connection while we're out on a hunt and hopefully they can um, stay in contact with each other. Maybe they go to a shooting range together or if someone harvests one year and they're still still in contact. Hey, I shot my deer this year. Why don't you come over, have a, you know, have a, a venison meal with me. And, um, you know, so so there's some good connections that come out of the programs like that. Our um, our novice adult program is um, it, it, it's relatively new, I guess. We, we started that up, I think, about four years ago. We, we got um, went through the regulations process and and we we now have the ability to create vouchers for novice adults for a long time we had vouchers for youth only and uh, so we 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 could uh give youth a voucher they would fill it out they'd take it to a, a cbw office or retail that sells licenses and then they would purchase the actual license but it's a special license outside the normal quota um that the, the public goes to and uh, the process works kind of similar to the dream hunt. We reach out to the local staff, make sure that they're okay with the request. Um, we can support sponsoring agencies as well. So there are some nonprofit conservation-based groups that will um, will run a hunt. They choose their hunters. They they provide their own mentors. Um, they run the hunts. They they you know seek the the um, permission from landowners to get access to that property as well. So we support them with the the same voucher program, but we as CPW staff, um, we we can tap into these vouchers as well, and we will run a lot of mentored hunts. And so we've got um, we've got some hunter outreach coordinators in the regions. We've got myself. We've got probably, I'm guessing, 60, 60 to 70 hunter outreach volunteers that have been trained to, to lead hunts. Um, so they help us out with these this program. And we have, um, you know, we've got district wildlife managers. We even have some park rangers in our state parks that are um, supporting hunter outreach programs across the state. And, and you know, all, all total, you know, offering over 400 mentored hunts. Some of these hunts are a, are a three-day hunt or a four-day hunt. So, you know, some, some of the small game hunts or a waterfall hunt might just be be a single day. But there, there's a lot of opportunities that we um, that we provide to new hunters. The, the downside of that is um, we've got a lot of new hunters that are applying for a hunt, and especially the novice adult side. And, and um, this past year, we, we received about 250 applicants to the novice adult hunter outreach program. And we try to look through that and try and try and assign them to hunts. Um, but we're only reaching maybe 20% of those that apply. I um, I get more adults that are applying for these hunts than I do youth. Usually every year we get about 100 youth that apply. Um, some of the youth, um, they have, uh, they've already had some hunting experience. It's kind of interesting. They, they apply and they fill out some information. And some of them already harvest a big game animal because they're coming from a from a family that hunts, they got a parent that's been hunting for 10 to 12 years, but uh, we get a lot of those youth that are applying where the, a parent or a guardian that that's accompanying them, they're brand new to hunting as well, or maybe they've only been hunting one or two years. And, and what's kind of neat about that youth program is we can take a youth out on maybe their first or second, maybe only their third hunt, give them a hunt experience, but they, they have that parent or guardian coming with them and, and they're learning right along with that youth so we're, we're, we're sort of teaching two people off that one license. And so that, that's that's another part of that program that we're trying to build 
um, it's not just focused on that youth, but we're trying to build the skills and build that knowledge and build that confidence to um, at least at least some type of relationship in a family, a father, a mother, a, a son, a daughter. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to build that um, that and encourage them to get out, um, teach them some of those skills. So that that's and, and on those hunts, our, our mentored hunts, we um, we've got elk and deer and pronghorn. Um, we've got a couple waterfowl hunts. We have some spring turkey hunts and we have some small game. Um, there's a program on the Northeast that, that we call the novice pheasant hunter program. Pepper is a coordinator out of that Northeast region. She's been, um, running that program for, for quite a few years. And she's, she takes, um, sometimes starting in the program, she's got 70 to 80 people that, that start that program. Um, some of them don't, don't, you know, make every single training, but we, you know, she offers, um, some seminars, um, some skills clinics, some, a wing shooting clinic, you know, how to shoot a, a moving target with a shotgun. Right. So that's part of it. Um, they, they get access, special access to properties in Northeast Colorado, go hunt pheasants on. And if that's not enough, they also offer mentored pheasant hunts as well. And, um, by the end of the year, she usually has 40, 50, maybe 60 people that she takes on a, a mentored pheasant hunt of some sort, or they're part of that program. Um, it's a neat program because pheasant pheasant hunting is so so easy to get into. There's a lot of land um, out east that that has good habitat nearby. Um, it's uh, you know a lot of public land to get into. It doesn't cost a whole lot of money, um, and and it's a lot of fun. Um, sadly, the last few years we've had some drought conditions out on the the eastern plains, and so some of the habitat has suffered. I think um, this past year with some of the moisture they've had out there, it was a rough winter, but coming out of winter into the spring and early summer, I think the conditions improved. So those, those hen pheasants that survived through winter probably had, um, hopefully they had some good reproductive opportunities. The habitat was good and they'll start rebuilding those populations and, um, you know, species like that, they can rebound in just a couple of years. And and if we get some good conditions that that continue year after year, I think I think Colorado in that that east side of Colorado, especially northeast, will just be some fantastic pheasant hunting again in a couple of years. Brian, I've also heard a lot about the Jim Bolger Memorial Cow Moose Hunt that you put on. What can you tell me about that opportunity? Jim Bolger was the original statewide hunter outreach coordinator. And um, I, I was so fortunate. I, 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 I got hired in the northeast region doing hunter outreach. And he, he was, uh, quite a bit of a mentor to me to, um, kind of show me the program that, that he, that he pretty much built, that he developed the, the volunteers introduced me to the volunteers, the concepts of hunter outreach. He did so much with the program, um, for it. And I, I run into adult hunters now that, that went through a program with Jim when they were a youth and they, they tell me, you know, I mean, it, it, it was life-changing for them. Um, so it's really neat to see, um, and hear stories about about that that impact that Jim had um, Jim and all the volunteers that, that have been part of the program you know it, it's a big team effort that goes out there but this um, this cow moose hunt it's on um, it's on Silver Spur Ranching for Wildlife property um, they donate a cow moose tag for a youth hunt every year and, and and I'm fortunate I get to go take a youth out on this moose hunt and uh um, it's, it's, it's a youth and a parent. And, uh, so I, I've been out there four times now we've had, um, three harvests out of the four years, but we have just some great opportunities talking about hunting, talking about life in general, um, habitat or, you know, and we get to see, you know, lots of moose and elk and deer and the pronghorn running around that Walden area. It, it's, it's just, it's just a great time. 
um, to spend with them. I still keep in touch with some of those those individuals because we just spend so much time together out there in the field. Um, so that, that's a special hunt. Um, Is there one of those hunts or, uh, you know, one of these other mentored hunts or maybe that uh, Memorial Moose hunt um, that you've done that, you know, really just sticks with you and resonates, uh, you know, when people ask you about it and like, man, there's that first one that kind of sticks in your head is the, the, one of the more special ones you've been part of. Yeah. You know, I, the, the very first, um, you know, youth cow moose hunt that I had, you know, I, I was learning how to moose hunt at the same time. And we had, um, uh, I think she was 15 turning 16, um, on this hunt and her mom, came came with her on the hunt and and her mom I think her her family grew up hunting but she never really got into hunting a whole lot but as as she was um you know starting her family and I think I think they have another um you know another child or two you know so maybe two three kids in the family um she wanted to get into hunting as a as a way to spend quality time with her family but also you know to to provide some some quality nutritional meat you know kind of locally sourced as well um, so she really got into it for that reason. And they'd been on a, a one or two hunts um, previous, you know, when, when I pick a, a hunter for this moose hunt, I want to, I want to make sure they have just enough experience that I know that they, you know, they can shoot a firearm, right? This is, this is a special hunt. Um, you know, I want to make sure that it's someone that, that, you know, has, has shot some rifles a little bit at the range. They're capable of shooting. Um, they have demonstrated an interest in hunting and um, boy, it, it, it was such a, it, it was, we just had a great time. Um, we ended up, um, the, the, the license voucher itself that we had, um, there's kind of like an early season and a later season. And, and we did not harvest on that first, um, that first round we spent, um, I think three days out there and, um, yeah, this hunter, um, I think the night before, um, you know, it's like our last opportunity. Um, we were looking at, a um, a cow moose and, and she had a big, um, a big calf with her. And, um, I mean, she was, she was sighted in for, you know, probably 45 minutes and, and it actually got dark on us, but we just couldn't get a good ethical shot. We either couldn't see where that, that calf was. Um, and you know, there's that, that ethical consideration too. Would you shoot a moose that has a calf nearby? And, um, you know, she, she was a trooper. I mean, it, it's tough to say no to a hunting opportunity, you know, especially the last night. And she had just such a great attitude and we had such a great time. Um, we ended up, um, uh, trying to find time between my schedule and their schedule. We went up for another weekend um, and she is able to harvest and uh, she just made a fantastic shot. And, um, you know, the respect they had for that, that moose, that, that cow moose that, that she harvested, you know, the effort they, they put into it, we had to haul it out on our backs, um, you know, quarter it out, haul it out. Um, we caped it. So they, they were able to tan the, the hide. And so now they have that, that memory of this experience as well. That, that was a that was a real thrill for me to to spend some time and I I've just had great times on on all of these moose hunts did I I I can't say I've had too many um bad mentored hunts you know it's it's, it's fun tying in with people that um you know if they're willing to listen to me talk about you know what I know about hunting you know it, it, it's kind of fun to share that I think that's part of what makes hunting so special even for the most avid hunter that um, you know, really wants to put in and get their licenses every year. It's that joy of seeing somebody else 
uh, you know, get the opportunity to harvest an animal, especially maybe if somebody, you know, it's their first big game animal. Uh, one of my deputy region managers was actually whitetail hunting up in Michigan with some really good friends uh, and got to see their son harvest his first whitetail. And, you know, more than telling me about his own hunting experience, it was all about all the excitement of, um, you know, seeing this family that's had a long hunting tradition and seeing uh, their, you know, son uh, get his first uh, whitetail. Um, I think that's something that I think all hunters and folks who have been hunting for a long time and around the sport uh, really um, all can really appreciate those moments. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I, boy, I could tell you all sorts of stories about, you know, taking my own son out hunting, um, you know, the harvest that he had and not just the harvest. I mean, I, we look back and and we've got more stories of, uh, you know, not, you know, I mean, we're out hunting, but we've got more stories that have nothing to do with harvesting an animal. And, and, you know, those, those memories are are huge. Um, you know, I had, I have so many memories. My dad took me out hunting. Um, I was fortunate to have a, a father that took me out hunting and showed me the ropes. Um, you know, I, I wish he was still alive and I'd love to take him out turkey hunting. That's something we never did. And I, I think he would have, he would have really enjoyed turkey hunting and he wasn't a pronghorn hunter. And, and uh, you know, I, I know, I know enough about pronghorn hunting. And I just love, love getting out when I have a chance or taking people out. But I'd love to share that with them. You know, I wish we still had that time to do it. So many hunters, I think, are are thinking about, um, you know, hunting is a way to spend quality time um, with family and and with friends. Um, you know, that those are the memories of it. And, and sometimes the actual harvest, you know, that those fade away a little bit. But there's other memories with a hunt that that stick with you for a long time. Yeah, you know, for anyone who's been out hunting with a parent or a grandparent um, who who's, you know, uh, passed on and, um, you know, that experience of going back out into the field, you kind of feel like they're they're there with you. Right. It's uh, um, I, I think a lot of folks can um, maybe feel that sometimes when they go out there that, um, you know, it's a way to connect to lost loved ones as well. Brian, I know we're kind of running up against it, but I want to. um ask you this i think it maybe kind of sums up everything we've been talking about well today i think um based on the numbers i think it's something like five a little over five percent of colorado residents uh you know hunt in colorado and with so many folks interested whether it's a lot of the folks signing up for the youth hunts or a lot of these uh, novice adult mentored hunts as well um what kind of trends do we see in new hunter retention from these programs and you know what does that mean for the long-term future uh, of hunting uh, not only in our state but just you know uh, across the country too yeah that's a, that's a great question um so we we tie in with um other other professionals across the the nation we we uh we have a term we call it r3 and it's recruitment retention reactivation recruitment is just getting them into the program for a, a trial period retention is is are they staying are they buying more licenses and the the reactivation might be you know some hunters that that have had the skills they faded away and maybe there's some some opportunity that just you know attracts them to get back into it um you know, reactivation is kind of low hanging fruit. You know, we don't have to invest a lot of time because they already have some hunting skills. But on the recruitment side, the retention side, um, there there are some some challenges and some hurdles that that we all deal with. But but the reason we we connect with other other states, um, other agencies with this R three concept is the some of the the trends that we're seeing. Um, the majority of consistent license, hunting license purchasers buyers. Um, are in the the older demographics, and in the next 
10 to 15 years, many of these, these you know, hunters that are in the, this older age demographic, they're going to start to fade away, um, you know, to, to, you know, to go on an elk hunt. It, it, it's, it's a tough hunt. It's, it's rough country. And if you harvest something, it, it's a, it's a heavy quarter to haul out. Um, it, it's tough to go hunting. And so sometimes um, as, as hunters age, they fade away from, from hunting or buying licenses or, or maybe they're, they're not buying as many licenses each year. And, and right now we do not have any um, particular age demographic that is filling in with that projected loss. Um, it, 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 when you look at the the numbers, I mean, it, it's, um, it is a little bit worrisome to, to see that um, some of our funding may, may not be there if, if we're not able to replace these hunters. And so a lot of our programs across all, all these states, they, they have these, these hunter outreach programs and they have angling outreach programs too because that funding is so important. And, and you know, we're encouraging hunters, um, you know, to be thinking about, you know, if, if maybe you're thinking you're not going to go hunt um, next year, you just can't physically get out there, um, or maybe in five, 10 years, you know, think about replacing yourself by taking a new person out. You know, it could be a family member, a friend, a coworker. Um, I get I get emails almost every week from people asking, hey, I'm, I, I just took Hunter Ed. I want to get out there hunting, but I don't, I don't have access to a mentor. And right, like I, I wish I could take every single one of them out. But I just don't have enough time and we just don't have enough space in our program to take everyone out. Um, so if hunters are, are thinking, I don't know anyone that wants to go hunt. Well, there are people out there and you just have to ask them. Um, you know, and maybe it, it's invite them over, you know, for a wild game meal. Don't, don't surprise them, you know, Hey, you just ate elk, but you know, like, like invite them over for a, a wild game meal and talk about your hunts and you might get them excited and they may be able to go out with you for a while, but think about, you know, if we care about the wildlife, um, that we love so much, you know, we, we, we respect these animals. I, I enjoy seeing these animals, whether I'm hunting them or not, um, if we want want these populations to exist into the future, you know, for for current and future generations, we got to think about replacing ourselves as hunters, um, getting some people out there, and and not just replacing ourselves, but passing on some of the heritage and that tradition, passing on stories, passing on um, our respect and our love for the outdoors and the, our love for these animals. Um, I, I think that that's important, and and. You know, everyone in Colorado, I think, really enjoys wildlife. And when you say 5% of the people hunt, well, that's that's 5% of, that are the primary funding mechanism for the wildlife management that we all love. So I, I think it's really important that we realize um, that that small population is is really funding so much of, of the work that's being done. It, in, in realizing that that it, it's not a guarantee that we're going to have all of these these individuals in the next 10 to 15 years that are still buying licenses. So um, so we're trying to do what we can, but we can't do it on our own. And we want um, we want hunters to be asking people to, to go hunt with them. We want them to be mentors themselves and, and take people out. We've got a program. It's called the Take a Friend Hunting Contest. Um, we've been running that for a few years, and I, I just don't get a, a whole lot of submissions to it each year. Um, I've been, I've been awarding just about everyone that meets the criteria, um, you know, a, a prize for this program. Um, and it's, it's the mentor and the mentee. And I just am not getting a whole lot of people that are, are interested in it. It's so easy to, to do, um, you know, a mentor mentee, you know, a mentor who's, who's got hunting experience, like three, he's got licenses in three to the, of the five last years. Um, but, a. a you know, a new hunter, someone who's brand new to hunting, maybe they haven't had any more than one license in the previous year. 
Um, but they, they get together and they go out hunt, but they got to engage three times and at least three times, one of them being a hunt, they got to take a picture, submit that, um, you know, when, they, when they in, enter into the contest, um, give a little bit of, um, just a little, uh, blurb on, on what their experience was like as well. And, uh, but, but to spend three times with a, a new hunter, it's so easy to do, take them to the range, right? Like that's part of building the confidence, teaching them, you know, firearm safety, you know, take them on a hunt and have a, have a wild game meal afterwards, right? There's three, three awesome interactions right there that could, could make a lifelong hunter. And I know it's not just us at Colorado Parks and Wildlife that are working on this issue of getting more people interested in hunting. A lot of other organizations are involved in this as well. There's some great um, nonprofit conservation groups that are are trying to fill that role too. Um, you know, if there's any hunter out there that is um, you know, is thinking, oh, I want to, you know, go hunt elk, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you know, there's Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfowl, there's Mule Deer Federation, National Wild Turkey Federation, um, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, um, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Colorado Bow Hunters Association, there's a Colorado Muzzleloader Association. You know, there's so many of these programs. I I, I mean, I, I'm sure I'm missing some that I should be letting people know about. But there's a lot of these communities that have people that are investing their time and money on conservation-based programs. Um, they're giving back more than just buying a license, right? Like that license purchased us so much, but they're giving their time and their money to to something that they, they love. And so new hunters can maybe find a community um, by engaging in some of these nonprofit organizations um, as well. And they're they're doing fantastic work. They're, they're partners on the landscape trying to manage wildlife manage habitat um you know there, there's some incredible work that's going on out there so yeah they're, they're, you know when you look at some of the trends um sometimes you, I, I get a little bit depressed um on it but then on the other side i see all the hard work that so many people are doing and, and i think yep yeah, I, th I think we got opportunities and we just got to get people connected there's people that want to hunt and there's people that want to teach you how to hunt we just got to try and find ways to get them connected yeah, that's so well said, Brian. And I think all those partner organizations um, that you mentioned are, are so key to helping us achieve our mission as well uh, in conservation uh, of all of our resources here in Colorado. So uh, appreciate the work that all the various groups are doing along with CPW to um, you know, foster the excitement uh, for hunting and, and getting new folks out there. Um, Brian, I think that's uh, the perfect way to wrap it up. I think that was uh, so well said. I just really appreciate your time out there. I uh, hope you enjoy all those mentored hunts um, that you get to be part of this year and uh, just fueling that excitement uh, around hunting for the next generation of folks. Um, but yeah, just want to thank you so much for your time today. You bet. Yeah, thank you, John. And yeah, I wish you the best of luck on your hunt coming up. I just want to thank everybody again for listening to this episode of the Colorado Outdoors podcast. And as a reminder, you can listen and subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to find your podcasts. You can also follow today's guest, Brian Posthumous, on a CPW-affiliated Instagram account called Hunting in Colorado. So go on Instagram, check it out, at Hunting in Colorado. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Colorado Outdoors the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Be sure to subscribe and join us for future episodes where we'll continue to explore the awe-inspiring landscapes, wildlife, and outdoor experiences Colorado has to offer. For more content from CPW, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.